Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 220 of Yoga Land. I'm here with Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. I was trying to be a little different. I'm here with Andrea. <laughs> so we are here. Oh my gosh, we're we are inching ever closer to Christmas. We're in the middle of Hanukkah. It's holiday season. It is holiday season. Yeah. And before we get started, I wanted to just give a quick plug for your programs again that we have out there. Yeah. I also want to acknowledge we have my a daughter. Gremlin. We have a gremlin in our house right yeah. now. My Our daughter is in the other room and she is playing vigorously online with a friend. Yes. We'll put it that way. There's a perfect little gremlin growl in the middle there. Did you want to put a plug in? Did you say you want to plug, put a plug in for the two courses that I have coming up? That's what I said. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm having really short-term memory issues today. <laughs> like I have been for 46 years, but they're hitting me hard today. Two things coming up. Quick shameless plug. Module one of my advanced training is coming up. It starts in February. We're about three quarters full in terms of registration with it. And then a return to your center course, which is just a much smaller, lighter lift practice-based course, really designed for teachers to come back to their practice. And you can find all of that information on our site. So the advanced training is jasonyoga.com slash. It's just go to the show notes page. Just go to the show notes because page. Because it's 500 dash hour. Go to the show notes page. So go to the show notes page. Yeah. Yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 220. Yes. I feel a little bit like right now I want to be like Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers, but do the opposite and be like, remember when he's like, mom, what are you doing? And because he's waiting for meatloaf, I want to be like, Sophia, what are you doing? Quiet now. <clears throat> but we can't do that. So we will get on to our topic for today. And essentially, I actually kind of proposed this topic, which is I wanted to talk about leadership. Obviously, we just had an election in our country. Not that we want to talk about that specifically, but it's just made me think a lot about leadership. You're starting a teacher training, which has me thinking about leadership. And, you know, obviously, I wanted to speak about it specifically in the context of being a yoga teacher, because I think that we're just coming to a point in the growth of yoga in the West, in this country anyway, and I know it's different all around the world, but in the West, we're coming to this place where I think it's more important than ever to really think critically about who you decide you want to train with and study with. And also to think critically about what it means to have a yoga teacher to be a yoga teacher. And I guess from my perspective, this really comes from a place of, you know, I come from traditional nine to five, you could call it corporate work. And I'm not saying that I had the best leaders in the world, but there was at least a hierarchy and a professional organization and we were protected by laws. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And there was an HR department and all these things. And so no one ever we never looked up to our bosses where I worked and thought they were like the most amazing people ever. Right. But that's what we do to our yoga teachers. And yoga teachers aren't necessarily held to the same professional standards. They're supposed to be. Yeah. But, and professional bosses also frequently often or frequently are not held to high standards. True. Absolutely right? true. Absolutely true. 
here's an interesting thing about yoga, being a yoga teacher is whether you teach online or whether you teach at a studio, it doesn't matter. You're still kind of on your own independent little island, Mm -hmm. right? In that there is very little peer-to-peer review and there's often very little, if any, direct supervision, right? And so as a yoga teacher, it's too easy to be an autocrat. It's too easy to make things up and kind of be the dear leader for 90 minutes in a row, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that, that I think that's what you're articulating is that, yeah. is that you are part of a team, you are part of a community, but you are also doing this kind of strangely isolated event. And I think this is something too that people going into trainings or people who haven't been teachers don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, Stephanie Snyder to me is an example, right? Stephanie is someone that we love and care for and I teach at her yoga studio and I never see her. You know what I mean? Like I almost never see the other people that teach at that studio. Mm -hmm. I see the manager when I come in and out, but the manager's not in my class because the manager is busy managing. And so we don't have the same layers of people interacting to make sure that everyone is behaving appropriately. Right. 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 And I think another thing, just to be really direct about it, without making the conversation too heavy, is we have in the yoga world, we have had a lot of examples, and not just the yoga world, but the no. broader spiritual milieu. Yes. We have had a lot of examples of not particularly good leadership. Yeah, there's a lot of examples of abuse. There's a lot of examples of abuse. And I think actually that's the first thing that I want to say, and I want to say it to everyone, not not to be too heavy or whatever. It's almost like kind of like stranger danger. What I want to say, right? What I want to say- That's not a bad metaphor. What I want to say is that being a yoga teacher is an easy authority to abuse. Mm -hmm. It's an easy authority to abuse. I think that the conditions are such that because you don't have a lot of direct oversight, you don't have a lot of peer supervision, you are often esteemed to some degree, yes. right? And that's what you're saying earlier. It's like, it's not like you walked into, you know, like women.com and we're like, oh my God, my managing supervisor rules. Yeah. Like, you know, but we have a lot of that in yoga. So, so a lot of times students are looking up to their teachers and they are making certain projections and teachers can be their own independent islands. And I've said this in other contexts, which is when you're teaching for 60 or 90 minutes in a row, you have to have conviction. You have to believe what you're doing and you have to believe what you're saying, mm-hmm. or you just get like you just want to cry, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. so you, so you have to like internally like bulk up and you have to show up and you have to believe and you have to emote. And I will say for me, it is an, an inherently emotional and intellectual process. Mm-hmm. And so I think all of those and more conditions are such that it's a relatively easy role to abuse. Yeah. I want to add something too. I mean, and this is really obvious, but I mean, for students, 
you're being led through a pretty transformative experience. Now, not every class is going to be transformative. M- and minor. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully the arc of your yoga practice is, it just is incredibly helpful to you on many different levels. And so it's it's easy for students. I know that I did this in the beginning. I mean, I don't have an example specifically in my back pocket, but it's common for students, new students especially, to project all of their own inner experiences and transformation onto their teacher. And if a teacher is not familiar with this, I think it could be a pretty like surprising experience to a teacher. So I think it's not dissimilar from the therapeutic process of talk therapy, right? Sure. Like, but the difference is that trained, highly trained therapist is going to be taught about transference and they're going to be taught about counter-transference and they're going to be taught that this is just going to happen, right? Yes. This is going to happen. Totally. This is part of the process and you totally. need to be prepared for this. Totally. And here's how to behave yeah. in this process, yeah. okay? And so I think that that is just something we should talk about more. Yeah, and I think, you know, just just to be clear, as much as I said that's a re- that the conditions are such that someone that wants to abuse their power, it's pretty easy to abuse abuse their power. Now that being said, the vast majority of teachers never do that. Right, and don't you know, desire to do that. In the same way, the vast majority of strangers are not dangerous. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. But we should have this in our minds, not like Going to class is a threat. Right, right, right. But we should have in our minds, oh, the conditions are ripe for me as the teacher to toggle the switch in such a way that people adore me mm-hmm. and what comes with that comes with that. Well, and it's like my influence is – my power and my influence is perhaps more than it is when I'm just walking down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way that people engage with me in a yoga class are different than the way people engage with me when I'm at Whole Foods. How about when you're in your house with your daughter and your wife? I got nothing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I got so nothing. Loud. That's why I that's why I teach yoga. Someone someone will listen to me. That's why you're so level headed, right? Yeah. But it's like, but so it's the same for the student, right? It's like the student should be going to a class assuming, hey, this is a good, safe, trusted space. And I'm going to do my practice and I'm going to be human and what's going to come out is going to come out. And I need to know that the conditions are ripe for me to transfer and project my adoration upon not only the teacher, but kind of the alphas in the room. Hmm. You know, I remember thinking back in the day of studying with Rodney is that there were people that Rodney was really close to, and you knew that because he was just a – he still is, I would guess. I just don't interact as much. He was a very charismatic and very personable person, and so you knew that he had friends, and you wanted to be in that circle. Yeah. You yeah. know? And you knew that there were certain students that were just really accomplished, dedicated students that had his attention. And I'm not saying they had his affection, but they had his attention. And I think that that this is something that beyond taking it to the level of sexual dynamics and, and those deeper complications, I think in a much more subtle way, we want 
the teacher's attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, yeah. we kind of want that acknowledgement. We want that teacher's attention. I've said to you, and I think I've I've said this on the podcast, like it's embarrassing to me, but training jujitsu, I'll train harder if I know that Travis is watching. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I will, I will. Because, and it's not even that like, we're not even tight friends, but it, there is that conscious or unconscious chain of command and group and personal dynamics and I don't think that we can avoid these. I think that they're very human things. Humans want to be seen. Yes. And many of us maybe grow up in one place or another not feeling seen. Totally. Yeah. And so I think there's just this normal impetus to be seen and to want to be seen. And that's kind of getting back to where I said, like, for someone that is not well and manipulative – that environment lends itself mm-hmm. to behaviors that are that are not good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah. and so and so again it's that stranger danger thing of us saying hey the vast majority of teachers are super amazing and safe and trustworthy mm-hmm. the absolute vast majority of them in the same way the absolute vast majority of strangers are totally fine people mm-hmm. you know but it's still good to know that the environment that you're going into has certain human dynamics that, you know, we've seen time and time and time again mm-hmm. can play out in a not good way. Right. You right. Know? So do you want to talk about some things to look for that are positive in a teacher? Or do you want to talk about like more of the red flags? I don't know if I want to see their red flags, uh-huh. but there are two things. And again, like the, the reason I don't want to say these are red flags is because Countless teachers possess these things. Okay. And they're not red flags. But the first one is charisma, right? So again, like charisma is not a red flag. It's not a red flag. But charisma, again, is like I can be charismatic when I'm teaching. I'm not charismatic when I'm at Whole Foods. I'm not charismatic when I'm like sitting on the couch watching TV. When I teach yoga, what is happening is real and it is an expression of who I am, but it is also me in a specific role doing a specific job. And that role in that job doesn't represent the totality of who I am. It's mm-hmm. the small sliver of who I am. Mm-hmm. So I think a thing to know is like charisma is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be around someone that is like has some, you know, chutzpah, but at the same time, you want to know that that charisma doesn't really represent the totality of that person. That that is them. They are real. They are not acting, but mm-hmm. they are in a role. They are in a mode, mm-hmm. right? It's like cars have different engine modes. They are in a mode, mm-hmm. right? It's one of the things that I think so many teachers, no matter what, since March, it comes back to this to some degree. We have a conversation about this, but it's like, one of the reasons so many teachers struggle on Zoom is they're not in the mode, man. Switching gears to like teaching mode when you're like in your pajamas in your front room, it's really hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to like emote and show up and show up mm-hmm. and engage. Mm-hmm. Like that's a specific mode. But that charisma can also be like charm. Mm-hmm that is obscuring other elements of that person. Yeah. So I guess I guess I'm not saying that charisma is a red flag, 
I'm saying be mindful that charisma is situational. Yeah, that's actually a good way to think about it. It's situational. And I think the other thing too, and like, I don't mean this to sound too bleak or too dark, but it's like, we all have to understand whether we're the student kind of projecting on the teacher or the teacher projecting on the student, because it actually goes, it can go both ways. Oh, yeah. Because I would say this is like, I have all sorts of students that I admire. I have all sorts of students who I think have charm and personality and who are engaging and who I enjoy their company, right? It can go both ways. It's mm-hmm. not, there is a specific power dynamic, but teachers unknowingly can project onto their students as well, right? So the thing that I, I want to communicate about this, which is, again, I don't. it's not that dark, but it's like, You just have to know that you don't completely know your student or your teacher. Mm -hmm. You just don't. When people see me teaching yoga, they're literally seeing me for the most part in my best 60 or 90 minutes of the week. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you teaching. You're so like outgoing and charming and complimentary. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's like, that is real. Yeah. But that isn't real 24 seven. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I guess, I guess like the thing to be clear about that is like, and I think the reason that these, that we're not saying these are red flags, but we're saying that these are. What's the reality really? The, they're the, it's the reality, but these are the internal dynamics that might help us break down or minimize and mitigate the transference, mm-hmm. this projection, and this feeling of like, oh, she's got the right answers, or he's got the right answers, or no way, man. Whether it's an Instagram feed, or a workshop, or a training, or a class, you just have to know that you're seeing that person probably do their at their best, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I want us to say, uh, like, I want to I'm I'm thinking on my feet, which you know is not necessarily my best trait attribute. I'm better when I'm writing. But I think one of the things that's challenging is not just charisma, but wisdom and insight, right? And so when you are looking up to a teacher, you are potentially admiring their level of aptitude, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that you and I are just very much, and we might be an aberration. I don't know. But you and I are very much of the belief that even if you are more adept in the yoga room, even if you're more adept on the cushion, even if you're more adept and more wise with all of the teachings, it doesn't mean that you are better at living your own life. No, no. It just really doesn't. No. Having insight and actuating that insight are really different events. Very different. You know? I have much more insight than I have the ability to actuate that insight, you know? And I think it's one of the reasons that I'm a good teacher is because I have like, I have pretty good cognitive processes where I see situations and I can express them. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I can manage them that well myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not blowing it off, but, you know. Well, it's just that, it's just that, Life is such a dynamic process, and we're all just learning as we go along. Yeah. So 
I think some now you're saying some things to look for, mm-hmm. right? I think some things to look for to me, especially in the context of a training, and and this this is like a big topic, and I don't like this is a moment I just I don't want this at all to sound self-serving. There are a lot of really good teachers that teach a lot of really good trainings, period. So I'm not saying like what I'm about to say, I have the single ability to do and others don't. I think that if you are being told what to think, not given the skills to think, you're in the wrong program. Mm -hmm. And let me divide that a little bit according to like a foundational program or a more advanced training, okay? I think that there are probably other parallels to this because I don't I don't want this to be too reductive around a teacher training program. Um, but when I think about a 200-hour training program, I think about, okay, this teacher-to-be doesn't have the skill set yet to improvise. They don't have the skill set yet to on the fly – think through many different permutations of a pose. This person doesn't really yet have the skills to write their own music. For the most part, when I'm teaching a 200-hour training, I want to teach the fundamentals. I want to teach the box, right? I want to teach kind of like, here's the relative black and white of warrior one, warrior two, sequencing, yoga philosophy, so forth and so on. But when I teach that, I will say, listen, right now I am building the box for you and I'm being as black and white as I can. But over time, you are going to see that this is just a sliver of the truth, right? This is just the basic alphabet. But in a more advanced training, it's no longer about where should you put your feet in warrior one. And it's certainly not, you should put your feet in warrior one here because my teacher told me to put the feet here. And there's still a lot of that, which is literally shocking to me. But it's a little bit more like, okay, well, here are the different conditions. Mm -hmm. You can put your feet in warrior one here because of this reason. Or you can put your feet in warrior one here for this reason. Or if you prefer, you can totally change the position of your feet and put them here. There's different levels of understanding even just the details of a physical pose, let alone all the other nuances of being a yoga instructor, right? And so early on, you're given a a more limited information set. Mm -hmm. But then with more experience, it's unbelievably patronizing to not provide students with a broader story and a broader narrative, and more options, and more possibilities, and more variables, and say, here's a bunch of options. I think you're an adult. Spend some time. Mm -hmm. Figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I think over time, our options as teachers should be less about, I was told this, and this is a chain, this is like a game of telephone. Sometimes yoga is like this weird game of telephone. Seriously. And it's kind of like, wait, why? Well, because so-and-so said it, because so-and-so said it, because so-and-so said it. And I I think that the other thing to consider is that 
what that does when it when a teacher has the ability to show, hey, there's there's probably four or five different ways of thinking about this thing. I think to some degree they are acknowledging I don't have the single answer about this. I am not the single source, right? I you know what I refer to all the time, and I know I've talked to about on the podcast in a different context. It's this random story, I don't know, in Yoga Journal, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago called A Band of Warriors. Yeah, I, I did that story. Did you do that story? Uh-huh. I think about it all the time. <laughs> That's great. Because it was five versions of Warrior One. <laughs> yeah, different right? schools. Uh-huh. Different schools, five different schools looking at five different versions of Warrior One. Yeah. Now, I can say, here are five different versions of this pose. My preference is option A. Mm-hmm. And I like option A the most for this, 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 and this. And to be honest with you, I don't really like option five that much. But here's the inner logic of why people that do like option five like option five. Mm-hmm. So I think that that process where you're showing multiple truths, even in a single situation, it inherently breaks down authority. It inherently breaks down the idea that there is a singular truth Mm -hmm. and any one person possesses that singular truth. Right. And that they are the medium Mm -hmm. to that singular truth. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It spreads the the power dynamic around. It spreads the power dynamic (laughs) around. The other thing it does is it doesn't close the door on truth changing or technique evolving Mm -hmm. or kind of like, just like a more, as sensibilities culturally change over the decades, it doesn't shut the door on evolution of a concept or how we engage. Like I would have never, never in the first five years of teaching yoga thought giving a manual adjustment would be complicated. Mm -hmm. I would have never thought that when, when I first heard that Judith Lassiter asks for permission before she touches people. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's neurotic and uptight. I thought it was awkward. I thought it was so awkward. Yeah. Now are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or there's some other clear mechanism of communication around touch. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, like, that's another thing of, like, the way we think about things changes. Mm-hmm. It evolves. Right? One of the challenges that lineages can present is lineages often gain their authority through their history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, why is this an important text? Oh, because it's old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why is is this an important teaching? Oh, because it hasn't changed in a long time. Well, maybe it was wrong in the first place. Yeah, it's 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 so complicated. It's so complicated. So I, I don't don't get me wrong. I don't mean to bag on lineage. Because being debased and not having a connection to the past is also problematic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I mean, my point on this is like, even in a single situation saying, look, there's actually probably three or four different ways to position the hand in downward facing dog. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give all four every time. But hey, we're in this training. So let's actually chop it up and just like, let's actually come to terms with having the middle finger forward in down dog is right. But it's not the only right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other rights. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing to me is the kind of thing that decentralizes power. Mm-hmm. It actually puts the power back into the student's hands. Mm-hmm. No pun intended on that one. And then it it 
opens the door to an evolution of inquiry and an evolution of how we think and train things. And all of those things decrease the power being held in a small minority of people who have the delusion enough to believe that they have a single hold on truth. Mm-hmm. Because people that have a have the delusional power that they have a single hold on truth. It's a lot of people fall for that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot of personality types that are very susceptible to that. Right. Well, it's really common. I think it's really normal for humans to want answers because life is such a confusing mystery. Totally. So if there are little answers, big answers, it can feel incredibly comforting. Totally. And again, like I just want to say, When you're newer to something, you probably don't want to be exposed to all the ways of doing that thing. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to go to the Apple store when something isn't working and have like the Apple dude be like, well, you could do this. You could be like this. (laughs) I'm like, dude, I don't just – what do I do? You're the expert. You're the expert. Tell Tell me me what to do. But I, to my knowledge, there's not like constant scandals at the Apple store. You know what I mean? So it's it's where this is just a bigger thing because – Yoga impacts our lives in such a a genuinely deep way. And so it's an environment where when you're a newer student and a newer teacher, it's actually just way better to have a way or two to do it. Mm -hmm. But then down the road, it's kind of not. Because then down the road, that is consolidating a limited amount of information and I think that that is problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other there's there's other dynamics that can be problematic in the yoga world, but to me, so much of it comes down to the centralization of knowledge and validation. Mm-hmm. And when there's an idea that there's a singular knowledge and there's one person or one chain that validates that, that to me is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, I see it as really a way of someone trying to maintain control that is, yeah, just potentially a liability to all of the students. It's not, it's not necessary. And it sort of reflects either a fear in the, I don't mean to get too like armchair psychologist, but it either reflects a fear in the teacher of having their knowledge questioned or a fear of yeah, basically of having their opinion overridden by people who they don't think are in the position to do that. There are a lot of schools of yoga, and I'm schools, sure, schools of religion, schools of all sorts of things. Look, we're talking about yoga because this is what we happen to know about. Mm-hmm. And it's the name of the podcast, but I'm sure this happens in all sorts of other environments. But there are plenty of people in the world of yoga that don't want students to go to other styles of yoga. Yeah. Now, to some- Or even any other form of movement. Well, that's bad. (laughs) Okay. What I see in this is, I, I said this in a different context earlier, like- and I see it within myself, is that it's patronizing to think that 
you have to make the decisions for your students. Like your students can't handle going to a yin class and going to an Ashtanga class and going to your class and figuring out what works best for them. Mm -hmm. Maybe all three of those things work best for them. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm in conflict with one thing of both of those schools and I don't want that student to like do those things. It's the student's choice. Mm -hmm. It's the student's choice. Yeah. The other thing that we have to say, and I would say this at the end of weekend workshops all the time. I'd say, listen, I don't want to swan in here and tell you, you know, we just spent 12, 15 hours together. Now, don't take anything that I have said over the last 12 or 15 hours as the single truth and don't take them at face value. And when someone else comes in here, same. Mm -hmm. Don't take those as single truths. Don't take them as face value. Test them. Mm -hmm. That's why we practice. Take what we did this weekend and test it. Practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it, test it. The things that hold true and resonate, keep them. The things that don't, don't. Because if something is true, it will stand up to scrutiny. Mm -hmm. So I only don't want you to go experience other teachings if either A, I don't trust you, which is super patronizing, or B, I don't actually trust what I'm saying. Right. That is, yes. I think there's a lot of that. I think so. Because too. I think deep down, the game of telephone just breaks down. I think deep down, somewhere inside, most people, I don't think most people are true believers that believe that something is true just because it was said to be true. Yeah. I don't. I think deep down inside there's a there's like an impostery feeling of like, oh, I don't know if this is true. And so I think that that is that twofold thing. If you're being told not to practice with others or you're being told not to experience some other s school or style, either that person doesn't think that you have the capacity and the wherewithal to make your own decisions. And that's a weird power trip that's not cool or healthy. Or they don't actually completely trust that what they have to say will stand up to scrutiny. Mm -hmm. In which case, I think it's the answer to both situations is clear. Test that truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well said. Be sensible out there, everyone. And again, like teachers are good. You're safe. You're good. People are nice. The vast majority of teachers out there and students, good things are happening um, without a doubt. And at the same time, just be an advocate for yourself and yeah, be sensible. Absolutely. And trust your gut. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. All right. Thanks so much, Jason. My pleasure. And if you want to find out about Jason's trainings, you can go to the show notes page, yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 220. All right. We love you. Until next week, enjoy your practice.